episode 70. Jim said he could see me because Mrs. Crenshaw put some kind of shiny paint on my costume. I was a ham. How's that? asked Mr. Tate, startled. Atticus, describe my role to Mr. Tate, plus the construction of my garment. You should have seen her when she came in, he said. It was crushed to a pulp. Mr. Tate rubbed his chin. I wondered why he had those marks on him. His sleeves were perforated with little holes. There were one or two little puncture marks on his arms to match the holes. Let me see that thing, if you will, sir. Atticus fetched the remains of my costume. Mr. Tate turned it over and bent it around to get an idea of its former shape. This thing probably saved her life, he said. Look. He pointed with a long forefinger. A shiny, clean line stood out on the dull wire. Bob Ewell meant business, Mr. Tate muttered. He was out of his mind, said Atticus. Don't like to contradict you, Mr. Finch. Wasn't crazy. Mean as hell. Low-down skunk with enough liquor in him to make him brave enough to kill children. He'd never have met you face to face. Atticus shook his head. I can't conceive of a man who'd... Mr. Finch, there's just some kinds of men you have to shoot before you can say hi to them. Even then, they ain't worth the bullets it takes to shoot them. Ewell was one of them. Atticus said, I thought he got it all out of him the day he threatened me. Even if he hadn't, I thought he'd come after me. Well, he had guts enough to pester a poor colored woman. Had guts enough to pester Judge Taylor when he thought the house was empty. So do you think he'd have met you to your face in daylight? Mr. Tate sighed. We'd better get on, Scout. You heard him behind you. Yes, sir. When we got under the tree, how'd you know you were under the tree? You couldn't see thunder out there. Well, I was barefooted, and Jem says the ground's always cooler under a tree. We'll have to make him a deputy. <laughs> Go ahead. Then, all of a sudden, something grabbed me and mashed my costume. Think I ducked on the ground. Heard a tussling under the tree, sort of. They were bamming against the trunk, sounded like. Jem found me and started pulling me toward the road, and some... Well, Mr. Yule yanked him down, I reckon. They tussled some more, and then there was this funny noise. Jim hollered. I stopped. That was Jim's arm. Anyway, Jim hollered, and I didn't hear him anymore. And, and the next thing, Mr. Yule was trying to squeeze me to death, I reckon. Then somebody yanked Mr. Yule down. Jim must have got up, I guess. That's all I know. And then, Mr. Tate was looking at me sharply. Well, somebody was staggering around and panting and coughing fit to die. I thought it was Jim at first, but it didn't sound like him, so I went looking for Jim on the ground. I thought Atticus had come to help us and it got wore out. Who was it? Why, there he is, Mr. Tate. He could tell you his name. As I said it, I half-pointed to the man in the corner, but 
brought my arm down quickly, lest Atticus reprimand me for pointing. It was impolite to point. He was still leaning against the wall. He had been leaning against the wall when I came into the room with his arms folded across his chest. As I pointed, he brought his arms down and pressed the palms of his hands against the wall. They were white hands, sickly white hands that had never seen the sun. So white they stood out garishly against the dull cream wall in the dim light of Jim's room. I looked from his hands to his sand-stained khaki pants. My eyes traveled up his thin frame to his torn denim shirt. His face was as white as his hands, but for a shadow on his jutting chin. His cheeks were thin to hollowness. His mouth was wide. There was a shallow, almost delicate indentation at his temples, and his gray eyes were so colorless, I thought he was blind. His hair was dead and thin, almost feathery on top of his head. When I pointed to him, his palms slipped slightly, leaving greasy sweat streaks on the wall, and he hooked his thumbs in his belt. A strange, small spasm shook him, as if he heard fingernails scrape slate, but as I gazed at him in wonder, the tension slowly drained from his face. He parted his lips into a timid smile, and our neighbor's image blurred with my sudden tears. Hey, boo, I said. Chapter 30 Mr. Arthur, honey, said Atticus, gently correcting me. Jean Louise, this is Mr. Arthur Radley. I believe he already knows you. If Atticus could blandly introduce me to Boo Radley at a time like this, well, that was Atticus. Boo saw me run instinctively to the bed where Jem was sleeping, for the same shy smile crept across his face. With hot embarrassment, I tried to cover up by covering Jem up. I, I don't touch him, Atticus said. Mr. Hectate sat looking intently at Boo through his horn-rimmed glasses. He was about to speak when Dr. Reynolds came down the hall. Everybody out, he said as he came in the door. Evening, Arthur. Didn't notice you the first time I was here. Dr. Reynolds' voice was as breezy as his step, as though he had said it every evening of his life. An announcement that astounded me even more than being in the same room with Boo Radley. But of course, even Boo Radley got sick sometime, I thought. On the other hand, I wasn't sure. Dr. Reynolds was carrying a big package wrapped in newspaper. He put it down on Jem's desk and took off his coat. You're quite satisfied he's alive now? Tell you how I knew. When I tried to examine him, he kicked me. Had to put him out good and proper to touch him. So scat, he said to me. Uh, said Atticus, glancing at Boo. Heck, let's go out on the front porch. There are plenty of chairs out there, and it's still warm enough. I wondered why Atticus was inviting us to the front porch instead of the living room. But then I understood. The living room lights were awfully strong. We filed out. First, Mr. Tate, 
Atticus was waiting at the door for him to go ahead of him. Then he changed his mind and followed Mr. Tate. People have a habit of doing everyday things, even under the oddest conditions. I was no exception. Come along, Mr. Arthur, I heard myself saying. You don't know the house real well. I'll just take you to the front porch, sir. He looked down at me and nodded. I led him through the hall and past the living room. Won't you have a seat, Mr. Arthur? This rocking chair is nice and comfortable. My small fantasy about him was alive again. He would be sitting on the porch. Right pretty spell we're having, isn't it, Mr. Arthur? Yes, a right pretty spell. Feeling slightly unreal, I led him to the chair farthest from Atticus and Mr. Tate. It was deep in shadow. Who would feel more comfortable in the dark? Atticus was sitting in the swing, and Mr. Tate was in a chair next to him. The light from the living room windows was strong on them. I sat beside Boo. Well, heck, Atticus was saying, I guess the thing to do. Oh, good Lord, I'm losing my memory. Atticus pushed up his glasses and pressed his fingers to his eyes. Jem's not quite 13. No, no, he's already 13. I, I can't remember. Anyway, it'll come before the county court. What will, Mr. Finch? Mr. Tate uncrossed his legs and leaned forward. Of course, it was clear-cut self-defense, but I'll have to go to the office and hunt up... Mr. Finch, do you think Jem killed Bob Ewell? Do you think that? 